Welcome to Ask of Expert, brought to you by the team at Vexit.com. Our bi-weekly series is the podcast helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's this week's host, Polly Craig. Hello and welcome. It's so great to be together once again. I so enjoy the opportunity to meet professionals who have the answers to our questions, and they're willing to share their expertise with us. Today is no exception. While many of us moved to working from home this past year, many still have ties to business properties. Maybe you own a storefront, an office building, or a condominium complex. Maybe you're considering building one, or maybe your company is contracted to build these properties. Whatever your circumstance, if you have any stake in a business or even a residential property, you'll want to listen to this podcast episode. Our guest today is Kirk Mason of HMC Lawyers, a firm based in Calgary, Alberta. Kirk specializes in construction litigation, condominium property litigation, contract review negotiation, and other legal matters that affect the construction industry. He fills us in on what we need to know before we start the process and what to do if we run into trouble after the fact. Welcome to the show, Kirk. We're thrilled to have you with us today. Good morning, Polly. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. So as you know, our audience, we have business owners and leaders, and in today's environment, every industry seems to be disrupted, some based on technology, some based on pandemic and other things. Let's just start off and give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today, and specifically, what do you love about the work that you do? I'm a 12-year lawyer. I completed all of my schooling out in Nova Scotia, so I did my undergraduate at St. Francis Xavier University and my law school at Dalhousie. I am a Calgary-born and raised individual, so we, uh, my wife and I decided to move back to Calgary in 2009, and I moved directly into the legal industry and articled with a national firm here in Calgary. After uh, realizing that I wasn't a quote-unquote national firm guy, I joined my firm in uh, 2011, which was formerly known as Bryan & Company Calgary and is now known as HMC Lawyers, which is a small litigation boutique. And I've been practicing as a construction and property-based litigation lawyer who also uh, does the solicitor's work with, as you've alluded to, the contract review, negotiation, drafting, and the like. So I uh, grew up in a legal family. My uh, dad is has been and continues to be a lawyer in the industry. So for me, you know, my upbringing was a little bit unique at supper time I'd always be privy to legal based discussions and would always have an interest in what my dad was doing you know that date that week that month or that next trial you know it really brought about an interest in the legal profession for me that I've had ever since I was a kid so I'm a bit unique in the sense that I was always focused on law I always wanted to get there and kind of followed the steps throughout both the undergraduate and graduate studies to get to where I am here today Wonderful. So share with us a little bit about the work that you do specifically with clients and maybe a little bit on business owners, perhaps in a specific area, potentially somebody that owns real estate or is looking to construct something. For sure. So the the best way to describe what I do is really I could be involved in any part of the process. So whether you're a homeowner or an owner of a construction company, a subcontractor, or a professional consultant, we at our office are involved with all of those pieces. So, you know, if you're looking at it more from the proactive approach, 
you know, we typically like to become involved early in the process. So if you're looking at a construction project or a renovation project, you know, ideally we'd come in at a contract review or contract negotiation stage to look at what the plan scope of work was and to look at ensuring that your risk or your exposure as either the homeowner or the business owner was protected or mitigated against to ensure that as you proceeded with the construction, you weren't going to have any unforeseen damages or situations where you'd be exposed to damages that could have otherwise been avoided. Now, one of the easiest ways to do that, whether you're looking at real estate or whether you're looking at commercial construction project is ensuring that you have the right subconsultants engaged. It used to be you know, foreign here that anybody would hire a building envelope consultant, but it's more commonplace now than it certainly was 10 years ago. If you hire the right consultant, like a building envelope engineer, like a structural engineer, these various experts can help direct you on how to build the best project. And they are individuals that you should rely on to ensure that you have, you know, a scope that aligns with industry standard, a scope that aligns with Alberta building code, and a scope that follows, you know, the contract documents throughout the course of construction. So, you know, I always say when you're looking at assets or when you're looking at real estate, they could be the single biggest transaction of your life. So it's not a time to be penny wise and pound foolish. You really want to make sure that you invest the proper amount of time at the start of the project to position yourself for a successful project all throughout. You know, one of the biggest things I find, probably that people don't understand or don't fully appreciate is the importance of commercial general insurance liability policies. If you're a business owner or if you're a homeowner, you know, certainly one of the fundamental things to focus on pre-construction is ensuring that whoever you're contracting with has appropriate insurance coverage. If they have appropriate insurance coverage, you know, you can add additional layers of protection to your contract, make sure that you as the uh, homeowner or you as the business owner are named as an additional insured, make sure that you've got appropriate coverages, whether it's a new building or old building for different issues that might be top of hand. You know, the best example with an old building is asbestos coverage. Most policies have a standard exclusion that exempts coverage for asbestos. If you're dealing with an old building, it's an easy ask to ask the insurer to layer in an asbestos endorsement where you can get uh, those layers of protection where if something does go astray during construction, you know that if the company potentially goes insolvent or if they're not a going concern that you could have recourse against an insurance policy to protect your interest. So if you're a business owner and you may not be in the, in the real estate industry, but you've decided that you're going to construct your own building, you talked about bringing in the right consultants at the right time. At the very beginning stage, you said, make sure you have the right insurance in place. And you said a building envelope consultant. What is that exactly? So a building envelope engineer is a professional engineer that specializes in anything building envelope. So when you're looking at a building envelope, you know, it's typically everything post framing. The framing is normally addressed by a structural engineer and a structural expert. Building envelope engineer would come in after that fact or in the design stage to ensure that all elements of your building envelope interacted well with one another and principally that your building was going to shed water and provide for water egress through waterproofing and complete construction. So one of the the most common issues with construction, whether it be corporate or whether it be residential, is water ingress. We see this most often in the condominium context 
where once a building is constructed, you have a gradual water ingress issue, which could manifest itself into a multi-million dollar problem five years, seven years, 10 years after the fact. The idea with engaging a building envelope consultant is making sure that you've got somebody with the expertise to identify these problem areas during the course of construction so that they can identify if there's any issues with the as-built construction at that time and rectify it in the early stages. So you may find yourself where you're paying a consultant five grand, 10 grand, or 50 grand throughout the course of construction to have those eyes and ears on site for you, but it could pay huge dividends when you look at how these issues can manifest over you know, the five, 10-year history after original construction. Oh, I can only imagine. And just on that point, sorry to interrupt, but just to back up, can you share with us an example of a situation where someone hasn't done that? And I'm imagining that you would get brought in at some point from a legal aspect. Do you have any stories to share on that front? Yeah, most definitely. The condominiums, again, are, are your biggest issues. Even in you know some of the high-rise towers here, we see it also manifest, but it manifests not necessarily with building envelope because the high rises can be concrete structure versus wood frame structure, but we see it with subcomponents of construction like mechanical issues, for example. So rather than hiring, you know, a top-end mechanical consultant at the start of the project, some owners or some general contractors could be penny-wise and pound-foolish and hire somebody who's quote-unquote more affordable who's not necessarily being as detailed or providing as quality a deliverable as some of the other parties out there. And if you do that, and you conceptually look at this from the 100-foot level, if you've got a 40-foot tower and you've got a mechanical issue on floor 38, albeit potential minor issue to start, if it starts flowing down that 38-floor structure or the 38 floors beneath it, you can all of a sudden have a problem that's a $25 million, $40 million problem to fix. You know, on the condominium side, condominiums forever and always have had water ingress issues. Most of that arises from it being wood frame construction here in Calgary. And oftentimes, the general contractors and developers didn't engage building envelope experts. I'd really say that's only, you know, a recent change in standard practice that's probably occurred in the last five, seven years. But prior to that, nobody would engage the building envelope consultant. And common practice in Calgary whether contractors or developers would admit to it or not, is that you'd scope out a project and you'd try to deliver it for as cost-conscious a price as you could. And what that would mean regularly is that you would hire you know, potential companies that were numbered companies that didn't have 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years experience. You'd be hiring companies that gave you a tender bid or gave you a response to your request for proposal that came in at a price that you know, was more attractive than some of those other entities that may have been around for a while. So many times in my practice over the last 12 years, I've seen these projects where no consultants been engaged. I've seen, you know, limitations in practice where the coordinating registered professional of record, whom arguably, sorry, was the party that was supposed to have eyes on it, you know, would say that contractor A or contractor B never wanted them out there. So never had them out there. So coordination became a real issue. Quality control became a real issue. And at the time, the developer and general contractors not worried about it because most of these issues manifest far after the fact. And that general contractor may not be around at that time. So single 
purpose entities have become an incredibly difficult issue here in Calgary, which highlights the importance of hiring those consultants. Because if you hire a contractor who's not around five years from now, a lot of people worry about not having, you know, the recourse against or having the opportunity to have them come back to site to fix the issues. So that's why you want to have the consultant engaged to make sure that you limit the potential for those issues. You want to make sure that you have the proper insurance protections available. So if you have that single purpose entity and they're not around five years from now or 10 years from now, you can still have potential recourse against that insurance policy to fix the issues that manifest. And you've mentioned that you're in Calgary, but I imagine that this applies to other provinces as well, or is there a lot of variation in the regulations across provinces? There's some minor differences in regulations across the provinces. Condominiums have been a tremendous problem all throughout. The need for really people to focus on quality rather than just the straight quantity or pricing of a project, that problem is consistent across industry. Too, too often... What we see here is we see uh, a difference in the bargaining position of the general contractor party and the subcontractors, where the subcontractors are continuously getting leveraged by their clients, being the big general contractor, to lower their price on these projects. And that really shouldn't be the focus. You know, the construction industry has to evolve to go back to ensuring quality over pricing. And if more owners reposition themselves or reposition their thought process to say that it is okay to pay a premium now or a slight premium now to ensure that I have a better product and I have less chance for damages later, that that's a good thing. Absolutely. One of the things that we had touched on, we spoke earlier, was that you'd mentioned COVID has really highlighted a lack of trust in many areas. And wondering, can you expand on that? Because this was really get into the nitty gritty of people dealing with people throughout an environment that has really changed the way all of us are doing business. For sure. And I found the lack of trust problem started pre-COVID. It is being exacerbated by COVID because naturally there's a financial pinch on the industry. But one of my biggest grievances with the construction industry right now is people don't trust each other. The industry isn't transparent at all. It needs to change. 12 years ago, when I first started in this profession, builder's liens, the statute or the statutory right to file a builder's lien has always been around. 12 years ago, people rarely filed builder's liens. You know, if you had a payment provision in your contract, whether it was net 30, net 45, or net 60, you'd always have trust that that person was going to pay you. And you wouldn't seek to trigger an enforcement provision under the Builders Lien Act or otherwise, because you'd know you were going to get paid. What we see now is everybody's going by the strict wording of the contract, and there is no trust. People don't have those relationships where they say, well, I'm okay waiting 60 days because I know Kirk or Paulie are going to pay me. We see people coming up right against the timelines that are dictated by the Builders Lien Act, and they're taking those enforcement steps, which are complicating projects. The other thing that we see is we see general contractors who aren't having trust in their subtrades to do what's right and do what's necessary to complete a project. So the perfect example of this is, you know, if you have an issue on site, a contract would in various instances provide for the capacity of the general contractor to issue a notice of default. That notice of default would trigger what's called a cure period for the subcontractor to rectify the default. You know, in the past, we'd never get to the stage where notices of default had to be issued. 
you know, again, if we use the example of you and I working on the project, what used to happen is you'd just have a discussion. I'd phone up Polly or Polly would phone up Kirk and say, we've got a problem on site. Can you go fix it? And there would be that implicit trust between the parties that they just go fix the issue. Now we see the general contractors issuing these notices of default, which gets everybody's backs up. Subcontractors don't necessarily know how to respond or if they're going to get leveraged by the general contractors on account of whatever this notice may be, whether it's valid or not. And really in my mind, you know, a, a lot of these issues which are becoming commonplace on these construction sites, we could avoid them if we regain that level of trust or if we re-implement a level of transparency that the industry is really lost. So what would need to happen to instill transparency in these instances? I think in part government's doing some of the correctional work for us in many provinces and federally across Canada. Prompt payment legislation has been implemented. You know, if we're dealing with business owners or any owners have to be aware of what the implications of the prompt payment legislation are, that's going to expedite payment relative to what the industry has become used to. So instead of net 60 or net 90, which some contracts are these days, prompt payment legislation typically dictates that you have to have payment within a 28 to 30 day period, which is going to expedite everything. You know, whether or not that's going to cause additional transparency is an unknown, but what the statutes do contemplate and Alberta is going to eventually roll out its own legislation is that if there is any dispute between the parties, that they've got to notify every party beneath them within a defined period. And my hope is that rather than, again, getting notices of these disputes, Kirk calls Polly or Polly calls Kirk and says, we need this fixed. So you never have to trigger that process and you continue the payment mechanism or you continue to follow the payment mechanisms which are outlined by uh, the statute. I know Ontario rolled out this prompt payment legislation over a year ago or in excess of a year ago. And in practice, it's resulted in very few disputes or adjudications. So I hope and I sense that that might be because people are talking again. And if that statute or those similar statutes across Canada help restore some of the trust or help restore just natural discussions that should be taking place, that that's a good thing. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Well, and I hear you you saying, like in so many instances, communication, if we can just talk to one another and make the effort and avoid making assumptions and little communication can go a long way in avoiding costs and the need to litigate in certain instances. What about sure. some mitigation strategies? We talked a little bit about that. Can you expand on that? And you specifically had, you called it, I think your $4 million story. Yeah, the so there's mitigation strategies during the course of construction and then there's mitigation strategies after the fact. You know, when you're looking at mitigation strategies during the course of construction, if you're a business owner and you've engaged consultants or if you've engaged contractors to do work, 
you want to make sure that your professionals are administering the contract. So for most business professionals, probably, I would never recommend that they take the lead on trying to coordinate construction for their own projects. Again, it goes back to the point, hire the right people, make sure you're talking to those people and make sure those people are administering your contracts for you. If there's any issues that arise, make sure that you have notice of those or make sure that your consultant is administering those issues on your behalf. The biggest mitigation strategy during the course of construction is to have those discussions. The fallback is if there's something more catastrophic that may occur, you want to go back to ensure that you have those insurance coverages that are wise coverages. So whether it's an all risks policy or builder's risk policy or a commercial general policy, you can require that your contractors and subconsultants all carry policy limits that are sufficient enough to protect you against the large loss events. You know, when we're talking about after the fact in that $4 million condo example, part of that is not necessarily mitigation, but it goes to, you know, what owners, whether it be owners of condominiums or owners of commercial projects, understand their rights to be after the fact. There are so many people in this market that are scared off taking any sort of legal proceeding because they don't understand what rights or what remedies they could achieve by taking legal proceedings. So can you just share, just expand a little bit on the story, what happened and what in this case could have avoided major costs? Yep, absolutely. So what we're actively involved and I personally have been actively involved in condominium cases for 12 years through discussions with property managers I became aware that there's a growing tendency of their clientele, being the owners of condominiums, to walk away from condominium disputes. On this particular example, going back to the building envelope issues, there had been a fairly substantive water ingress issue, which manifested itself into about a $4 million problem to correct. So there was wood sheathing that was rotted, the cladding had to be replaced, the stucco systems or masonry systems had to be replaced in the ultimate bill to the owners of the condominium were amounted to $4 million. Now, in this particular example, even the property manager had a lack of understanding as to what potential recourse they had against the builder. The builder was a single purpose entity, so it was set up solely for the purposes of constructing that development, and it no longer existed at the time these issues manifested. So rather than digging deeper, the owners walked away from any potential recovery they had against the developer. What they could have done in the circumstances, go back to the original construction documents and the original file that would have been transferred from the developer to the owners and looked at what insurance coverages were in place for the construction of the project. With this particular example, there would have been a commercial general insurance liability policy. It wouldn't have been abnormal for the developer to carry $5 million, $10 million, $15 million limits. And with something as readily observable as water ingress issues, there would have been resultant damage under the policy, which would have triggered coverage. So had these folks dug deeper, you know, they could have potentially triggered coverage under the CGL policy for the developer and obtained recovery from that policy, notwithstanding the fact that the developer no longer existed. So these are the types of issues which really scare me in the industry because you have all of these owners, whether again, it's corporate or whether it's condominium or residential, who may be out of pocket a tremendous amount of money because people before them didn't take the proper steps. It's important for them to know what 
remedies or recourse they have available to them. Because if you can improve your chances at lessening your out-of-pocket expenses, then any one of us would take that step. Absolutely. And it's interesting because in this case, I think we've all been in or heard of situations where there are assessments that come through, especially in condominium corporations, where it may be going back to work that wasn't done properly in the first place or what have you. And as an owner, you don't necessarily get involved in understanding what your options are. So is there a place for people to go that they can actually learn and understand this? Lots of times, truth be told, it's about reaching out to your network and looking at what resources are available to you on the internet. You know, if you look at condominiums, many provinces have condominium institutes where they'll have members like myself or like our firm that are members where you could publicly access us as a resource available to you in the local market. But a lot of it's just understanding and it's taking a step back from the emotional piece of it and not looking at it and saying, oh my God, how do we address this $4 million exposure? It's okay, you know, we've got an obligation to make this fix. Can we do anything within our reasonable power to lessen the exposure to the owners across the base to see if we can recover any of our out-of-pocket expenses? Because the fix and the obligation to fix doesn't go away, but certainly, and especially in this day and age with the pandemic, if you can lessen the blow to any of your owners, then why wouldn't you? Absolutely. So just share with me, you know, you're very passionate about the the work that you do, Kirk, and I'm wondering, share with us a story of a great outcome and how, how you got there and what does the best day in the, in the world look like for Kirk? The best day is mostly going home to my kids. But, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. During work, and one of the things that I talked to you about earlier before this podcast was that I, I really try to have compassion or find a way to understand the issues that are facing our clients. A lot of people get lost in legal discussions and a lot of people don't understand that if you follow the straight linear path that a legal proceeding may take you, it could bring you to a resolve five years from now or seven years from now, which lots of companies can't afford. So what I really try to focus on is understanding the problem of the day and figuring out how we get to a solution that makes sense for the client. I uh, have and remain passionate about trying to bring transparency back and just natural discussions back to this practice. One of my best examples, and it's a work in progress, is that on one of these condominium disputes, rather than go guns a-blazing against the developer or their prior insurers, and in this instance, we had another uh, single-purpose entity, we engaged them in discussions to see what they could do or whether they'd acknowledge some of the issues on site. And what I expect to flow from that poly is a collaboration with the developer and with its insurers to actually provide for a repair at the site where the homeowners or unit owners are not going to be out of pocket to fix their properties and they're going to achieve a resolve. And the way we got to that was through discussions. It was through opening the door and saying, guys, we've got a problem. What are our options or what are our opportunities to fix that problem? I think in this instance, we're going to come up with a really great fix that's going to make a lot of sense for the owners and for the developer. Well, and it's a win-win. So through mediation and being open to discussion and collaboration, you get results that everybody can walk away knowing that they've all won, which at the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? 
Absolutely. And for this developer, you know, while the entity was a single purpose entity uh, for this project, they still carry on construction across Calgary. And for them, it's a tremendous act of good faith for them to show the market that we're going to stand by our product and we're going to do right by those purchasers that buy product from us. And not everybody does that. But if more companies and more entities did that, you could avoid the longer fights that cost a lot of money and take a lot of time and find resolve in creative ways, which is really what we need to be focused on. Absolutely. Are there any areas that you would like to dive into that we haven't covered yet? Specifically, you know, the work that you do, the clients that you represent, perhaps a little bit about how they find you, how you find them, and what does your industry look like five years from now, given where we are today? You know, that's a million dollar question. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have in the legal industry right now, and this spans Canada, is that it takes an exceptional amount of time to get a matter set for trial. Most of the trial time across Canada is devoted in the first instance to criminal matters and family law matters. So if you're dealing with a civil construction matter, for example, to have something heard here substantively by a trial judge, you could be waiting five or seven years to get through all of the procedural steps and to get there. So forecasting what this job looks like five years from now, I would anticipate that we are more of a mediator than a litigator. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I think that is actually more practical given the industry restraints and the industry limitations that are out there. You know, the reality of our practice, and I act for a lot of subcontractors because it's my preferred side of the relationship between them and general contractors. But the reality of their lives are that if they have a quarter million dollar receivable or a $5 million receivable, their capacity to close on that and to realize a result may mean the difference between keeping their doors open or closing their doors. So I think as an industry here, talking about transparency and trust within the contractors, the same thing would apply to lawyers. I think we have to have more open discussions and candid discussions about what makes sense in the instance and how can we achieve that proper result for both parties. Just on that point, Kirk, I think that that's really valuable information for our listeners because if they're in a situation where they're contemplating which way do they go, do they take the road of fighting it and potentially moving towards litigation or do they invest time, effort, money and really step back and commit to mediation uh, may end up with a better result is what I'm hearing. I think that's absolutely right. And the answers always come from a number of different sources. If you go back to what we've been talking about this whole time, if you surround yourself with the right people and the right professionals, hopefully you lessen your chance of getting into that big fight. But if you do get into that big fight, you know, I think there's a lot of companies out there that are craving a circumstance where they've got reasonable people that are prepared to sit around a table. And if you've got a failure or if you've got an issue that you caused, then it's important that that party own it. But if they don't, you know, it's also important that the general contractor or the owner or whomever that paying party might be, they acknowledge and own the fact that they should be paying what's duly owed to these subcontractors or these consultants. And it always comes down to relationships. You betcha. 
Well, thank you very much. Kirk, we could go off into all different areas here, but I think what I love and what I hear is, you know, you found a niche that you truly love and you've kept it in balance with your life. I love that the favorite part of your life is getting home to your kids. And often, you know, people in the professional industries, it's a tough thing making that balance. So if you want to end off with what advice you would give to young professionals that look at you and say, wow, I want to actually follow the footsteps of Kirk, what would you say to them? I've been incredibly fortunate and consider myself incredibly fortunate to find myself where I am here today. My parents gave me a tremendous platform and I you know, was joking with you earlier. Uh, one of my clients told me that the best part about me was that I had my dad's head, but my mom's heart. And I think that it's important for everybody to maintain that heart element. And that heart element extends to how you treat your colleagues in your profession and how you balance all of your family obligations. I mean, the reality of our lives is if you're never home, your kids are not going to remember the great things you achieved at work. And they're certainly not going to remember the great things you did or achieved as a family unit or that you did as a parent. So my parents have always been focused on proper parenting. The people that I'm working with have always taken the position that it's family first and it's important to grow in those environments. And I have. So there's nothing easy about this profession. One of the things that excites me is I'm faced with a new problem every day and I get to help people solve that, which truly ignites the fire in me. But it's important for people to know work is work. And as a dad and as a husband and as a brother or uh, an uncle, I've got to find a way to always park that at the end of the day. Because if you take those stresses home, it can be an incredible burden for your family. And that's not right. But, you know, with this job comes tremendous privilege. And my best advice to everybody is don't limit your potential or your reach to this profession gives us a unique opportunity to affect change in society and use that as a platform to affect change. It gives you a tremendous voice and tremendous power. And if you can use that in the right ways for the right change, then that's incredibly important and incredibly valuable to uh, how you can treat and progress in this profession. Wow. Well, with that, I think I could not have come up with a better ending to a a great conversation and I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you. Thank you for the work that you do in representing not only your clients, but also the industry. And I wish you all the best and thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you very much, Polly. I appreciate your time as well. Wow. That was a lot of great information from our expert, Kirk Mason. And thank you all for listening. By the way, if you have ideas for topics that you would like covered or a problem you would like to have solved, we would love to hear from you and we'll ask a Vexpert for you. It's easy. Just email me and our team directly at podcast at vexit.com. Thanks so much for listening. The Ask a Vexpert podcast is a production of Vexit and distributed globally by the SoundOff Media Company. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.